Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. All right. Oh, yeah. This is Johnny from The Iron Show, ironshow.com, and owner of the Fringe Radio Network. That's fringeradionetwork.com. Welcome to the Philosopher Rock Show, where two guys mine rock on a different strata. A different planet here, baby. In this session, we're going to be zooming in our kaleidoscope lens on the British progressive rock band, Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Progressive rock, I would have to say, it's actually the proper name is Flash. A lot of people don't remember that, but uh, since I was a Yes fan back in the 70s, that's what it was initially called. That style was called Flash. But anyway, um, yeah, Yes has been around for over 50 years. Well, since 1968, um, when their first album came out, uh, title of the album was Yes. Talk about an evolution. Uh, yes has gone through the most severe evolution of any band probably that ever existed. So what we're going to be doing here in this session is uh, we're going to discuss all things Yes, Yes history, Yes music, and Yes philosophy. I was first introduced to Yes in 1977. Uh, One of the neighbor kids uh, said, hey man, you want to go see the Yes concert? I'm like, yeah, for sure, let's go, man. And so I was, I had heard Roundabout, and I liked that song, so I thought, hey, I'll I'll try anything once, and I was just blown away. I mean, that was the Colors of the Rainbow tour, promoting the probably the greatest album that ever was ever recorded in the history of mankind, Going for the One. And uh, just to see John Anderson up there with that giant glass harp with the blue laser beams shooting out of it and his flowing robes, you know, and his, his voice, his cosmic hippie voice. To the song, let my heart dream me Past immortal as me Where can I be? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was blown away. That was, uh, it was all over for me. I became a huge Yes fan and got all their music and followed pretty much through everything they had ever done from, you know, their beginning until until now, which uh, I think the last Yes album just came out a couple years ago. And they're still together, actually. They're still doing shows. Um, Chris Squire is not with us anymore, God rest his soul. But uh, I actually talked to John Anderson in 1979 and had him recount the very earliest uh, stories of Yes. And so that was a big deal for me. But without any further ado, let me take you to Brian and GK, your hosts on Philosopher Rock. Well, here we are again on Philosopher Rock, and we're going to be talking about the fantastic progressive rock band, Yes. 
I'm your host, GK, and on the line with me all the way from the US and A is my co-host, Brian. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Brian. How you going, man? Doing, doing pretty good, Garth. Thank you for, uh, thank you for that intro. And, um, I'm coming to you this morning from a on location in, um, Lorraine, Ohio, which is outside of Cleveland. So mm-hmm. I'm up here by the mistake in the mistake by the lake, they, they call it. And, uh, so I'm gonna say that quietly so my wife and mother-in-law don't hear that. But, um, yeah, I'm up here for the holidays. Just got done with, uh, Thanksgiving. And, um, so I'm just kind of hanging out for the holiday weekend. Uh, how's things going down under? Yes, it's not too bad. We're actually in the middle of a heat wave here at the moment. Um, mm. uh, temperatures all up and down the place, uh, of around about or, uh, I don't know, heading towards, uh, well into the 90s, heading towards 100. So she's, wow. and in some places it will be 100, and especially out west, she'll be over 100. Uh, mm. Fahrenheit, I, I'm, I'm trying to convert Fahrenheit here in my mind, because of course we, uh, we talk about Celsius here, but yeah, no, it's very, very hot and we could do with some rain. But other than that, uh, it's all hunky dory now. Brian, um, this, Band, yes. Uh, we got to kick off by letting our listeners know that this is going to probably be, I would, I would say this has got, we're at risk of having our most subjective show, <laughs> uh, ever because yeah. you and I are both big fans of yes. Um, and so we're just going to warn our listeners right now that, yeah, let's just call it. This is going to be so subjective. Um, it's not going to be funny. So. Uh, do you reckon it's going to go that way, Brian? Oh, absolutely. I, it was it was like pulling teeth to get these notes um, whittled down to something that was manageable. That we didn't have a whole, uh, you know, five part episode on on yes. Just there's just just because of the fact that you know, aside from the music and and the big fans that we are of their music. Mm-hmm. The, the personalities within the band, the, the, it could, we could go on and probably an episode for each member. Um, but we don't have time to do that. We have the interest, but we just don't have the time. I think we'd, we'd lose people if we, we, if we did something like that. Well, it's a good point to make about them. There's some big personalities in this band. Um, there's some big music in this band. There's a yes. fair bit of controversy and later on, Towards the back end, we'll be touching on it as we go through, but towards the back end, we'll talk about philosophy and things like that. Although we will be talking about that as we go, because that's what we like to do. Um, so you and I are big fans, Brian. Uh, my wife and I are also big, fran- big fans. My wife and I share a interest in Yes together as well, um, which is fantastic if you can uh, share a particular band with your spouse, because then, you know, when that CD's on, you're, you're all, you're both enjoying it. It's not a battle mm-hmm. over, okay, now we can listen to my songs, you know, because <laughs> yeah. they're not my songs. These are our songs, so it's really good. And I've said this a fair bit, and I'll say it to anybody that will listen, um, my opinion of Yes, it's the one band that you can do anything to while you're listening. Okay, so you can you can work, you can drive, mm-hmm. you can ride, you can run, you can relax, you can party, you can sleep, you can fly, you can do whatever you can think of and have yes in the background and it just makes it all what's the word for it? Um it fits. It's manageable. Okay. Yeah, it fits. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's some there's some situations you can't you, you, that you, you you know, you can't be in or you don't want to be in and be listening to say, you know, let's say um, 
Johnny Rotten and Sex Pistols in the background, you know, you go, oh, my goodness, you know, turn that off, right? Right. Um, but with Yes, I've found that, you know, you can do anything in the world that you can think of and it can be happening. The only thing I might not do is I probably wouldn't go to church and have the headphones on and be listening to Yes. <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't do that, although it's possible, okay? You could do it, but right. it's probably not the right thing to do. Um, right. <laughs> all right, so let's let me do a... You know, a very, very short overview uh, and a history of yes. Let's just do a little tiny bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, Brian's already said it. There's so much that we could talk about. We could just go on ad infinitum. It just go on, but I'll I'll try not to. Um, and bear in mind, I'm going to repeat. This is going to be very subjective. All right. Um, but one of the problems that you have, and we've had this before with a lot of our other shows, when you're trying to fit a band like this into a couple of hours of a show, you know, it's a band that's had a history spanning more than 50 years. It, it can be quite difficult to do, and it can be quite difficult to please everybody that's listening, especially if they're fans. So if you are a yes aficionado, again, we've done this before with other shows, we're asking for some grace as we cannot cover everything about them in what might be like a couple of hours here or more, whatever. So we're going to have to cherry pick here. And um, so we are going to cherry pick here as we move our ever so subjective lens over this mo- most prolific band. So there you go. I wanted to say that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Yes is one of the most successful and influential and longest lasting progressive rock bands uh, of all times. They were formed in London in 1968. Um, they have uh, more than 20 studio albums out. The first uh, being released in 1969. They got more than a dozen live albums. They got dozens and dozens of compilation albums, and there's just so much more. It's so hard to keep up with the dis- discography of these guys. Um, I discovered something new just tonight when I was reviewing what we were going to talk about here. I thought, oh wow, I didn't even know that existed. So yeah, there's always something new with Yes uh, after 50 something years. Um, over the more than 50-year life of the band, they had around about 19 full-time members pass through the band. Um, and, of course, there were some other temporary stand-in and touring members. But I think it's about 19 full-time that have passed through. And um, one of the nice things about Yes, and I, I like this, and even though there has been some ups and downs and controversy amongst them, what I like is this, that with Yes is... When any of them have worked on a solo project, and there have been multiple solo Mm -hmm. projects, other members often join them and help out, you know. And the intermingled links between all of them is a study in itself, and we we can't have time to go through that here, although we might mention some of them a bit later on just in passing. Uh, now, it is really difficult within a reasonable period of time to give fair attention to all of the members, and... We will be speaking a bit more about them later on. Brian will especially will take in, um, will be addressing uh, specifically some of them. But um, if I can just mention a few just to kick us off with. And because this is my show and Brian's, but because it's my show and I'm an old ex-bass player, I want to kick off with probably arguably the best bass player in the world um, and founding member of, yes, uh, that is the one and only Chris Squire. Now, sadly, Chris Squire passed away a few years ago, but in my humble opinion, yes wouldn't quite sound like yes if not for Chris Squire. 
He was the longest serving member uh, of the band, having been there from the beginning until his death in 2015. Now, before you send any um, nasty emails to Brian, because Brian handles our complaints counter, don't you, Brian? <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Complaints. File, file yeah. under T for trash. <laughs> no, no. I'll give the proper address. Complaints at Brian at like Flint Radio. No, hang on. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. But anyway, before you, you do write and complain about what I've just said, I, I also need to mention lead singer, uh, John Anderson. And many would argue what I've just said that yes isn't really yes without his distinctive voice. Now, I just recently read this, um, article where there was an author of this post and he'd written a really long post about that point that yes is not yes without john anderson right and he really did labor the point and some people in the comments actually said wow you labor that point you know but um yes not being yes without john anderson well okay that's his opinion i'm going to stick with mine that i really believe in uh, believe that Squire's really important. And, you know, you guys who love John Anderson are probably going, oh, no, shut up now, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, so moving swiftly on. Yes also had a couple of great guitarists in their time. Um, now, there's more than these guys, but they, yeah, Steve Howe and Trevor Rabin. Um, now, I might start an argument here if I disclose my preference, right? Um, Brian knows my preference about those two. Ah, oh, what the heck? We said we're going to be, um, <laughs> <laughs> we said we're going to be subjective. Now, I really dig Steve Howe, um, aficionados are going to go, how, how? But I really like Trevor Rabin's playing. I, I really love his, the way he attacks things. Um, he's got a lot of aggression, uh, and I like that. I do love his tones that he gets and all of those things. It's just that that would be my choice. Okay. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, and they've also had some top, top-notch keyboard players. Tony Kay, a very good keyboard player. The legendary Rick Wakeman, um, mm -hmm. his son Oliver Wakeman, and even ex-Buggles and current keyboardist Jeff Downs, who along um, with another Yes member in their pre-Yes life had a huge hit in Australia with Video Killed the Radio Star as the Buggles. So I guess a lot of Yes fans will know that um, the Buggles, who's, you know, Jeff Downs and... Yeah, Trevor Horn. Yeah, so Jeff Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff Downs and Trevor Horns were uh, the the new wave group, the Buggles, and they had a massive hit here in Australia with that uh, video, Killed the Radio Star. It was number one for so long. You know, it just sort of drove you nuts. You know, it was just on the radio all the time. <laughs> um, but here's a fun factoid for you. Uh, Downs has entered the Guinness Book of Records for performing with a record 28 keyboards on stage in a signal, single performance. Hmm. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. Now, I can't leave out the drummers of Yes. I really do feel for all the drummers in the world. You know, they often, not always, but are often left out when discuss, discussing rock bands. Um, so, you know, people will talk about guitarists and lead singers and sometimes bass players because we feel a little bit left out sometimes too. Uh, but <laughs> drummers, you know, they, they just get left out. So, yes, I've had their share of great drummers. I'll just mention my favourite, and, you know, he's been there, you know, probably, I think it's the longest, uh, Alan White. He done some amazing things in his time uh, before, during and after, yes. But, you know, he played in the Plastic Ono Band. Um, he also played on John Lennon's song Imagine. Um, he also played for one of the best ever guitarists ever to walk this planet, 
Paul Kossoff in his band Backstreet Crawler. And even more amazing than all of that to me was that he once did a stint in Ginger Baker's Air Force, and we all know why that's an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, now, with Yes, you know, they've done dozens of massive tours, like big bands like this. You know, sometimes the tours took 11 or 12 months or whatever around the world. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, they have also been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And just one more thing before I hand you over to Brian is, um, Yes is a... F- Odd or funny name for a band. I think it's a great name. But, um, you know, they got their name after rehearsing together for a while and they needed a name. So John Anderson, the lead singer, he suggested the name Life. Uh, Chris Squire, the bass player, he suggested World. And the original guitarist, Peter Banks, just said yes. And so the name stuck. And that's how they got their name. Yes. (laughs) All righty. So that's an ever so brief, ever, ever so brief intro to such a massive band with a big history we'll talk more about that as we go along this is gk and you're listening to episode eight of philosopher rock and this is part one of our ever so subjective analysis of the music and philosophy of yes for more episodes just go to our website www.likeflintradio.com that's www.likeflintradio.com Now, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at philosopherrock at gmail.com. That's philosopherrock at gmail.com. All right. Now, let's get back to this episode of Philosopher Rock, where we say yes more often. But I'll just hand you over now to Brian so we can talk a little about the style or genre of of yes. Brian. Okay. Well, thanks for that intro, Garth. Kind of like you said, the history of the band itself and the members individually is so rich that we re- you know we really can't delve into every aspect and we can't explore every tangent because if we did it would take forever and um just those guys must have been or and continue to be some of the most you know busy musicians to ever walk the face of the earth as far as their output um is just incredible so as far as their style is concerned, um, for those who may not be familiar with um, the band themselves, or maybe they just you know know about them a little bit or have kind of like a cursory experience with the band, yes. I mean, I'd, I'd say broadly categorized or progressive rock or sometimes called prog rock or even symphonic rock due to the sometimes heavy influence of classically based movements in the music. For instance, they incorporate excerpts of Brahms' Fourth Symphony and E minor, the third movement on the Fragile album. Um, so that was like their third or fourth album, I think, Fragile. Um, and, you know, some of that classical influence that pops up in Yes has a lot to do with the keyboard players that they have on board at the time, assuming that a lot of pianists and um, keyboard players are tend to be classically trained. Um the idea of the term progressive might ring bells for people, though, in the sense that it's like it's a modern term that's thrown around in modern politics. And although the political term doesn't refer to music, per se, um, necessarily, the two are linked in a way. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But the most I want to say about it at the moment is not to point out the way in which they're linked, but rather the term itself is not only a bit of a misnomer but a paradox at best and a contradiction at worst but progressive 
the reason I say that is because progressive um, thought would require one to keep moving or evolving, not remaining stagnant or adhering to conventional mindsets, but a constant reforming such as the postmodern movement that denies grand narratives in favor of a subjective type of um, truth, which refutes itself by being a grand narrative that denies a grand narrative. Um, the way that this relates to the music of Yes is that this progressivism that comes through in some of their lyrics, um, it ties in with the the progressive um the term progressive in the grander sense of like how I'm talking about it here and politics and things like that. But anyway, yes was an example of an incorporation of jazz, rock, classical, like we just said, in some cases, even world music um, that was moving away from the blues driven rock of the late sixties and early seventies. Um, that shift in their style coupled with the shift in the lyrical content and the themes like away from the typical pop and, the kind of, ooh, my baby, baby type stuff, uh, you know, um, relationship and broken hearts kind of like lyrics and music. Um, it kind of solid. Can we catch that one yeah. again? Ooh, my baby, baby. Can we? <laughs> <laughs> like, let me do that in a, let me do that in a little more passionate way. Ooh, my baby, baby. That That's kinda... it. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Now, yeah. now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so they were kind of, you know, they they kind of got away from those type of lyrics. I mean, pretty much wholesale got away from it. I don't think there are too many. There may be songs that that talk about relationships, but not in that sort of gooey type way. Um, so their music's a little more heady, like it's a little more thinking man's type music. Um, but th- this these are the kinds of things that solidified them as the pioneers of progressive rock. Um, not only being, you know, some of the first ones on the scene to to make that move, but one of the more popular and, in my humble opinion, best bands to, to, you know, pioneer that style. So, I mean, yes, raised the bar as far as like musical virtuosity and aptitude was concerned by playing music that was challenging to execute. So they incorporated long passages and time signatures that required a skill that wasn't found in like your average radio rock, blues or pop music. And I think that this quality of their music made them attractive to other musicians, hence why a lot of musicians are Yes fans, or a lot of Yes fans are musicians, I should say, backwards, other way around. Um, made that that kind of made them attractive to other musicians um, who were able to appreciate the music for its technical acumen. So, like, you and I are both musicians, and uh, so we kind of get what's going on in the music where someone else might be a casual listener, yes, they might enjoy the music, but they don't really have a sense for what's happening, the mechanics of the music. So there's the aspect of uh, yes, and other progressive rock bands tend to be musicians. Musicians is what we we use the term, or I often hear the term. They're they're musicians. Musicians um, appeal to musicians. Well, I mean, we're going to bounce around through this episode touching on several of their songs or albums, but I think that's enough of an introduction. Um, other than to say, you know, I've, I've, I've heard it, this quote before, but I'm not, I've never found it. So I'm not sure you can't, I can't, don't hold me to attributing this to Steve Howe, but, or one of the members of yes, that when they set out, they, they intentionally decided they weren't going to do anything that was bluesy on the album. Cause blues was kind of the, the, the backbone of 
music at the time when they were launching. You know, you had like Led Zeppelin and which was pretty much just repurposing blues, um, old blues songs and, uh, cream and, um, just, you know, the, the big bands at the time were just, you know, sort of like amping up or hot rotting up the blues music that was, that had already come, you know, come up through America for sure and was making inroads to England. But yes, apparently consciously and intentionally said, we're not going to do blues. We don't want any, you know, we don't, we don't want to be a blues band and we don't want our music to have, um, any blues in it really. Now, like I said, I, I can't, I can't vet that quote or that's not really a quote, but I can't say for sure that that's, that was their intention. I just have heard people say that before that they, that yes, themselves had said, you know, we want to, they were sort of proud of the fact that they weren't a blues band, <clears throat> which is fine with me because I mean, I don't want every band to be a blues band and be pretty boring. But, um, so I think that's kind of enough of an, in, an overview of their style kind of define and des- describe them. And I know we're going to be bouncing around a little bit, but let's start off with their album um, entitled Going for the One, because I know, Garth, you had, you've shared with me. I'm not sure what you're going to share here, but you've shared with me what an impact that album had on you. And it was one of their little bit later albums. Um, so why don't you tell us about Going for the One by Yes? Um, my life with Yes began with the 1977 album Going for the One. I had it on Ubute cassette. And uh, and this album and two others really helped me get through. Now, the other two weren't Yes albums, but um, they helped me get through what was a very low period in my life. Um, before I touch on that, let's talk a little bit about the album itself, just briefly. Uh, this album features the skills of one of the more classic lineups of Yes, and that is John Anderson, Steve Howe, Chris Squire, Rick Wakeman and Alan White, all of whom shared songwriting duties on this album. Um, there's only five tunes on the whole album, with one of them, Awaken, running for almost 16 minutes. Um, you know, Brian, you've got to love prog rock, and I guess that's why I do, and I think you do too. Uh, tunes from this one for special mention are the title track, Going for the One, and Parallels. Now, to some more subjectivity, when I was a young lad, I suffered a lot of what can only be called uh, abuse of an extreme nature, and music helped, and music used to help me cope with that. You might say music helps a lot of us get through some tough times. Uh, but for me, it was a little more than that. I used to hide inside the music. If you yourself ever experienced this, you'll understand exactly what I mean. When Going For The One was released, I was in a very bad place uh, emotionally. And this album and two others, like I said earlier, not Yes albums, but there were three albums specifically at the time that I was listening to um, at this low point in my life. Uh, so for me, and I don't want to sound too negative about it, but it was a very tough time for me. And many of us remember particular songs or albums or, or music of some sort for the good times we were experiencing when we were listening to them. But for me, this was a very bad time. And yes, and going for the one helped me get through it. You know, music is very personal for me. Um, and I know it is to others. I'm not on my own here. I'm not on my Pat Malone. Um, it can help us get through some of the hard times that life dishes out. Um, it can bring back memories of the good times and, and it can bring back memories of the not so good times. It is a very powerful medium and there can be little doubt about that. 
Now, just before we move on, I'm going to hand you back to Brian here, but just before we move on, I want to share something else that's rather personal and very important to me. A number of years after I started listening to Yes, I had another situation in my life where I reached a very low point, even low on the one that I've just spoken about. And something that can only be called miraculous happened to me. Um, God reached down from heaven to me and said, lean on me. Now, I'm speaking metaphorically here, but there did come a time when God touched my life and I learned to lean on him and not to hide away in music as much as I used to. Um, so I just wanted to add that before we moved on. Okay, so enough about me and enough about going for the one. Um, so that's what this album, and, and remember I said at the beginning, this is going to be very, very subjective. There's a mm-hmm. bit of sub- subjectivity for you about yeses album going for the one now later on i want to talk about a couple more of their albums maybe it won't be as subjective as that but um we might leave that there yeah so i'll flick it over to you brian and you can um give us your personal overview uh of of yes okay well um yeah thanks for sharing that insight because i you know although although i don't resonate with music the same way you do which is interesting and but i think in some ways a lot of times when you and I have discussions, I, I get the feeling that even though we both love music, you know, you you have a different connection with music than I do. And that's that's OK. That's good. Um, but, yeah, it's very interesting, like you said, uh, that there are, I'm sure there are people out there who can um, who can empathize with you. I mean, I can definitely empathize with you now sympathizing. I don't have like I said, I don't have the same experience that you do, but. Um, but yeah, music is a very powerful thing and it's, um, it's, it's definitely has its, um, healing effects, um, and can help, help us get through things in our life. Um, for me, yes, was one of those bands that, um, I probably had heard on the radio, but just didn't, they, they kind of, of course I wouldn't have heard them much, um, because they weren't top 40 exactly, you know, here in America anyway, but at least not when I was, you know, coming of age to the point that I was actually paying attention to what was on the radio. But so, you know, around my teenage years, um, maybe f- I guess I was probably 15 or 16. <clears throat> I know I was in high school. Um, I would walk home from high school and there was a guy who um, I would stop at his, uh, well, he lived in a trailer, um, but a mobile home. But anyway, um, I would walk, stop by at his house after school when we'd walk home together, he played guitar and I, I was, you know, starting to play guitar. He was really super good. He was already like only like 16 or 17, but this kid was, was just a natural musician. But, um, so I'd stop by his house after school occasionally and he'd show me some things we'd, you know, he, he was basically just giving me guitar lessons, you know, we were just hanging out. But, and so because he was so good and because, um, I kind of looked up to him, I listened to everything that he said, you know, so it was just happened to be one day when um, I was over there. He was on the phone with his girlfriend and he was talking about going to see Yes. And I, like I said, I knew who, that they were a band. I didn't know much about them. Um, probably maybe would have only been able to tell you that I knew the song Roundabout because that was probably the one that you'd hear on the radio here at the time. But and this would have been um, in the mid 80s. Um, so anyway, I was overheard him talking to his girlfriend about going to a yes concert. And I heard him say that he had never really been into them because he was more of a heavy metal type guy and that he had 
got an album of theirs and that he really was blown away. So, I mean, I can still remember him saying that, having that conversation just because I was hanging on, you know, every word that he was saying. So immediately I thought, well, hey, if this band's good enough for Kevin and Kevin's pretty, pretty, and pretty awesome guitar player, I'm going to go find this album. So I went and to the secondhand record shop up the street and looked around and I noticed that they had a copy of Fragile by Yes. So I was like, all right, I'll get this. So I bought it, took it home. And of course I knew the song Roundabout, which is the opening track. And then it goes into this <laughs> big classical piece. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? All these keyboards and classical, like, and I started to think like, okay, there's something good in this because Kevin likes it. Right. So I listened to the rest of the, you know, the whole first side and, and the deeper I got into it, and I don't know whether I was wearing headphones at the time, but I'll tell you what, Yes is one of those bands that you need to listen to in headphones if you can. Would you agree with that, Garth? I mean, as far as... Uh, well, actually, you are better off taking your time and sitting and listening to them if you really want to get the, the full effect, but I'll still stand by what I said. I think it's one of the... They still, for me... Uh, one of those bands you can listen to doing anything. So um, I particularly like listening to them while I'm driving. Um, mm. uh, my wife and I have done several long, long distance trips, and Yes is always um, features because you know they're very long songs, long albums, and they just help to uh, I don't know fit just fit the long distance trip for us. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm talking when you're on the road for a couple of days maybe. Um, but if you really really want to hear them and you want to hear everything that's going on, I reckon, yes, headphones, I would have to agree. Mm -hmm. So on the, the toward the end of the first side of Fragile, and uh, when I say sides, I guess most people <laughs> that are old enough remember what I, what I mean by sides. But anyway, um, so coming to the end of the first side of the, the Fragile album, there's a part where it, it just goes into this, um, there's like a uh, – a, a, stereo pan that happens between the left and the right and and uh i just remember thinking wow this is really cool this music takes you to like another space another place you know like you can kind of just melt into it and become part of the part of the music but anyway so by the time i got to the end of the first side um and i had heard south side of the sky i was and the riff that's underneath that i was like okay these guys are awesome this they, they got some really cool riffs this riff could be totally turned into a heavy metal song and even though they're not a heavy metal band i thought to myself i could see where people in the metal heavy metal hard rock community could be influenced by a band like yes so then you, you flip flip fragile over and then you just you get into heart of the sunrise and it's just like it's it's all go from there i mean it's just amazing long distance run around and i'm sitting there listening to the time changes that and that you know that's one of the things about progressive music is you get like intricate time changes and long passages of music um, where there's a lot of virtuosity going on. It's just, it's just very intense music, but it doesn't, it's not intense in the way that heavy metal might ramp, ramp you up or, or right, right. Uh, it's not, get it's you not angsty. Yes. It's not intrusive, right? Right, right. That's right. why I keep saying you can do whatever you want. And it's just great to have on in the background or mm -hmm. sticking the headphones on and listening to every minute piece. You know what I mean? It's just, oh, yeah. There's just nothing you can't do. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. 
So from that point, um, I was hooked on yes. And, um, I, I was trying to count and remember how many times I've seen yes. Now, I don't know why it seems like I've seen them more than I have, but by my count, I've seen them six times. Um, and that's since, uh, the union tour in 1991. I went, I went, that was the first time I saw yes, which was, I'm very blessed to have seen because that was the combination of, you know, different, um, configurations of the band all together at one, hence the name union. But, and just as a side note, I was going to mention that, um, in the mid nineties at some point, I was making a lot of trips to Chicago. Um, at the time we were going to Chicago for a lot of concerts and, um, uh, one of the times we went up to the Metro in Chicago, I saw, um, a band called Sky Cries Mary. And at the time I thought to, to myself like, wow, this is a really kind of weird, different band, uh, kind of almost performance art. Like there was a kind of like almost like a, uh, visually there was almost like an, an, uh, early Genesis kind of thing going on. But, um, I was, I was kind of captivated by the band visually and, um, come to find out later that was John Davison's band before he was with Yes. And so I actually got to see the singer who, you know, who joined Yes later on. I saw him in his, uh, one of his early bands. So that was just a side note. But, um, so yeah, I've, uh, been a fan of Yes probably since about 19, I was probably around 1987 was when I started getting into him. And, uh, like I said, I've seen them about six times since then. And they're one of the, one of the bands that when they come to town, um, at least historically, I have, you know, shelled out a decent chunk of money to get like good seats for. Um, they're not one of the bands that I want to see. You know, I'd be, I'd be thankful to see them at all, but not one of the bands I want to see way in the back of the auditorium. I want to mm. be right up front, mm. watch the music, musicians perform mm. and, you know, get good. Plus, I get all the autographed, you know, swag that comes along with it. <laughs> so, so yeah, we, we, we don't, uh, skimp when it comes to, to yes tickets. We, well, I say we, I mean, me, my wife's not really a fan. I don't think she's ever gone with, no, she's never gone with me. So, um, of course, we weren't married all that time either. But anyway, so maybe it's best that we start, um, moving on a little bit to, uh, some objective facts about yes. <laughs> Uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about Steve Howe, who's the guitar player. I figure I'll, I'll kick off with him because I'm a guitar player. So, um, yeah, Steve Howe, yes, um, he's, he was the guitar player who, well, we'll get to where he came in in a little minute here. But anyway, so he's, he's pretty much known for, he, he's the best, most well-known guitar player that was in, yes, I think, um, probably, um, more synonymous with, Yes, than um, maybe some of the other guitar players, but he was known kind of for his signature sound. I'll call it. Um, basically, this was came from him playing a Gibson ES-175D, which is a hollow-bodied guitar, and it kind of gave him a tone that, at least up to that point in rock music, hadn't really been heard in rock music because it it is a hollow body, which just gives it a more um, I want to say like a more mellow sound. Um, it's got a rounder, more like, I guess, yeah, more rounder, um, softer sound than any, and he didn't really play with a lot of distortion on his guitar most of the time either. Um, it was kind of half distorted, um, not so overdriven. And that really gave yes, a kind of unique sound and tone 
Um, especially when you consider, and we'll talk maybe a little bit more about this later, but especially when you consider that Chris Squire's base was a little more overdriven than most of the bases. So there's almost like a, it was a little bit upside down in the, you know, the typical sense where usually a guitar player, you know, has the overdrive and the bass player has the clean tone, but they were, they were maybe a little bit upside down in that respect. But, um, how uh worked with a lot of bands after and during yes such as asia which people may know i mean i'm a huge asia fan uh gtr which i'm a huge gtr fan even though they don't really have much material but um and then he was in a band called tomorrow which was before yes and that that band tomorrow some people might if they're not familiar with the band tomorrow um they're kind of like a psychedelic band but they may be familiar with uh the song that Nazareth covered later on called My White Bicycle, um, which is a pretty cool tune, um, in my humble opinion. Um, after his stint with Tomorrow, but before he joined Yes, and he, by the way, when he joined Yes, he was replacing Peter Banks, who had left, the guitarist Peter Banks, who had left Yes um, to go on to some other progressive rock bands like Flash and Sin. But... Um, how you know before he would had joined Yes and uh, replaced Banks, he had auditioned for bands like Jethro Tull. Did you know that, Garth? Did you know he had auditioned for Tull? I think I read that. Only I wouldn't have known it before we before we started researching for this. So there you go. No, that's interesting. Because I knew I know you're a Tull fan. Big big um, big Tull fan. One of one of my favorite bands um, was Atomic. He had auditioned for Atomic Rooster, which was I could see like why he didn't fit in there, but <laughs> um, I'm not sure what the reason, but other than the fact that the, the music style seems so different, but um, Atomic Rooster, he tried out for um, the nice, which I know you're a fan of the nice. And, yep, yep. Uh, and apparently, like I said, none of these were a good fit. And again, I can see why um, they weren't a good fit for him just based on you know, what he did with Yes. I mean, Atomic Rooster, Jethro Tall, The Nice, these are all fairly departures from, you know, what Yes had going on. So um, Steve Howe has been very um, vocal or uh, apparent with his veganism. Um, so that's one of the aspects that we might touch on later and when we get to talking about worldviews. Um so he's, you know, he eats a vegan or lives a vegan lifestyle. And um, so, yeah, that's pretty much. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add as far as Steve Howe is concerned? Because I don't want to, like I said, like we've said at the you know, outset of the show, we can't dig too deep into each person. Otherwise, we'll be here in you know, an episode. No, version, but I agree. But I just wanted to say um, when you mentioned Asia, uh, there was another yes member in that band as well. Yes. Jeff Downs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who's also from the Buggles. But anyway, no, that's uh, uh, let's move on. <laughs> uh, well, now that you mentioned that, now I got to say, oh, here we go. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is where we. This is the part where we have to rein ourselves in. But, exactly. Yeah, no, um, yeah. But yeah, no, because um, Carl um, Palmer from uh, from ELP was in Atomic Rooster. He was the drummer at, in the early stages of Atomic Rooster, and um, so how probably made his connection with Palmer, you know, do, during the time he was auditioning for Atomic Rooster. And then later on, who shows up in Asia, but Palmer. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, a lot of these bands and these musicians were 
not only the members of, but the, the, it, basically everything that they were involved in was a super group by dint of the fact that they were all like just, you know, heavy hitters in, in the music Good scene. Point. Good point. Especially, especially prog progressive rock music. But hmm. so that's Steve Howe. And, um, we, you know, of course we can't go without mentioning Chris Squire, which you touched on earlier. So let me just t- talk a little bit about who Chris Squire was. He was the bassist and vocalist, and I say vocalist intentionally here, but um, he played for Yes, and, and an important role not only in his, you know, was not only his distinct bass tones, having played a Rickenbacker, um, a Rickenbacker bass. I don't know exactly which model, maybe like a 4001, but he, uh, he used a, a guitar pick, so he was, they call him, do they say you're a plunker when you use a guitar pick? <laughs> you know, playing the bass. But now, didn't he um, not use a pick? He used a sixpence, didn't he? A sixpence, the um, coin. As far as oh, I, know, I know, he used the sixpence. Yeah. Uh, I thought I saw. I thought I had seen somewhere that they actually mentioned what kind of pick he used. Okay. Um, but I'm pretty sure for a somewhere there for a certain amount of time he used a sixpence, which is it uh, a coin. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me, um, given the sound that he had there in the early stages. It did have a sort of metallic mm. kind of sound yeah. to the, the attack of the pick on the mm. string. But um, so the fact that he used, you know, a plectrum of some sort, a pick or whatever, or a, or a coin, um, it it sort of shaped his sound in the in the sense that his approach to playing was a little bit more aggressive and out front as a bass player. Um, you know, often bass you know often when you're playing riffs that are similar to the guitar lead you know the bass player normally puts down the uh the the bottom end rather than you know playing on the the higher in the higher register where the guitar usually fills that space um squire had a more um almost like a lead bass type sound um and style um and that put him out front in the music. Um, and, and that's one of the things about Yes, is, and we were talking about it a minute ago, like, the, the music, the musicians didn't compete with one another. It wasn't so that they played in a way that, you know, they were all playing over top of each other. Somehow they managed to make this all work with Squire playing, you know, in a sort of atypical style. Same with, with Hal playing, you know, a little differently than, you know, his, with his tone and everything, um, playing a little differently than most guitar players would, especially at the time. So Squire had kind of like a, a lead role in the music rather than just kind of the follow along style of just, you know, staying within his lane and playing, you know, the, the low register on the bass all the time. But he was often, uh, tracking right alongside with the, you know, doubling Hal's guitar melodies and, um, you know, just kind of playing like the melody lines versus like the, uh, underlying tones. But, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Squire's vocals because they were just as much of a part of Yes's signature sound. And you could really tell what he had contributed to yes vocally when you listen to his solo album which is called fish out of water he does the lead vocals on that album and you can just hear what who he was in yes vocally 
when you listen to his solo album, Fish Out of Water, which <clears throat> I highly recommend. And again, like you said, um, and, you know, toward the beginning of the show that, you know, a lot of the musicians from the band, yes, backed him on the Fish Out of Water album, um, which is it's cool because you still get the same uh, alumni, but you one guy is out front and he, you know, is kind of taking center stage, which would have been Squire on that one. But uh, Squire also, you know, was in some other bands and projects such as Squacket, which was a combination of, you know, Squire and Hackett, which is Steve Hackett, who was a member of Genesis, as well as XYZ, which was a short lived, um, you know, attempt at a project. And the, the name XYZ comes from the meaning X, yes, and Zeppelin. So, it was ex-members of Yes and Led Zeppelin. And um, that featured Jimmy Page on guitar, Chris Squire on bass. Uh, Dave Lawson from Greenslade was the keyboard player. And the, who else but Alan White on drums. <laughs> and uh, it was good stuff. Um, I've got a copy of it, but it was never released officially, I don't think. I think, I mean, you can find it online. Um, and I've got a copy of, I think there's like four or five songs. And, uh, but it never, it never like went full fledged into an, an album or a project. And I'm not exactly sure why I know like there are other members, uh, other musicians who had dropped in and considered being a part of the band. Like Robert Plant was, was one of them. Um, but the one song on there on the XYZ demos is, uh, got Squire singing on it. And, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, I know that one of the songs from the XYZ demo, um, the demo recordings managed to be worked into a yes song later on. I mean, it's not verbatim. It's not, you know, they don't do it the same, exactly the same way, but I, I believe it was one of Squire's pieces he, he took to yes later on. You can really hear, you know, how he just repurposed the riffs or whatever. So, um, I think that's, that's probably be a good point for me to, um, we, we, you know, we, we're not covering every member that's ever been in yes, but just some of the key, um, players who, you know, have shaped the sound and, um, um, so Brian, can I just jump in here and talk about, uh, uh another yes album? Um, I want to talk about, uh, drama, Brian, do you like the album drama? Oh, I absolutely love the album drama. It's sort of a standalone, but yeah, I, I love it, man. I love it. One of my favorites. Right. Well, it is one of my favorite albums too. And, you know, for Yes, Aficionados, again, I'm warning, uh, saying, are they going to say, oh, no, drama, you know? Uh, but I guess I tend to lean more towards of the Yes stuff that I like, the more, you know, um, dare I say it, commercial sounding stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Although I do, I, I do like most of their catalogue, but I, I, I find myself leaning towards this sort of stuff. So, um, Drama is their tenth album. Uh, it was released in 1980. Um, now the big news about this album was the departure of John Anderson, uh, and Rick Wakeman, uh, from the band and the inclusion of the Buggles members. We've talked about the Buggles mm-hmm. a couple of times. Trevor Horn on lead vocals. And Jeff Downs on keys. According to White, so the drummer, Alan White, um, and uh, this is after the departure of Anderson Wakeman, he said, and I quote, There we were, Steve Howe, Chris Squire and myself. 
we were around London and I think we said, we'll book a rehearsal studio on Monday morning and whoever turns up is in yes. The three <laughs> of us, it's good, isn't it? I like it. Um, the three of us turned up and that's where we came up with drama. Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn were rehearsing in the room next door to us, so they were rehearsing as the Buggles, and it was just coincidence, really, and Trevor learned we were next door. Yes was one of his favourite bands, and he kept coming in and hanging out. Then he said, I wrote a song for you guys. I don't know, we got to be kind of friendly. The next thing I knew, their equipment moved into our room, and that was Yes again. So so that's how uh, uh, this drama album come about, and that's how um, the Buggles ended up joining joining Yes. Um, this album's definitely different to previous albums. There's a little bit less of the Anderson Cosmic type lyrics, a little bit less, you know, a little bit mm-hmm. less of that cosmic-y sort of stuff. Um, I really find it hard to find a bad tune on this album. Um, and it has to be said that despite the lineup changes, the album is definitely a yes-sounding album for me, my opinion, you know. Um, and I know, yes, purists uh, at the time were very anxious to hear this album because they probably thought, you know, how can yes go on without Anderson? And uh, like I say, I recently read a blog post where the author had said that yes is not yes without Anderson. Now, I understand that position, Brian. You know, for instance, I personally believe that Thin Lizzy could never be Thin Lizzy without Phil Lynott. Okay. Hmm. However, subjectively speaking, in this case, and don't forget, I am a Yes fan. In this case, it's still Yes, right? And we mm-hmm. know that they end up using a couple of other vocalists anyway on later albums, and including the return of John Anderson, right? So just let's just keep that in mind. Um, special mention tunes for me. Uh, it's the Ten Minute Machine Messiah. Uh, it's well worth your time for a listen. Uh, it's got some really heavy riffs contained within it and some brilliant, as you said before, Brian, Rickenbacker sounds from Chris Squire. Another tune to consider is Run Through the Light. It's a great song and unusually it has uh, Chris Squire, who's perhaps the best bass player in the world. Have I said that a couple of times? Um, it's got Chris Squire playing piano um, and he convinced Trevor Horn, who is a bass player, to play bass on this track and Horn had said uh, and I quote I didn't quite know what to play on it one day we spent 12 hours playing and working on the final bass part so it took 12 hours of him and Squire working together for him to get the bass uh, part to uh, run through the light Does It Really Happen is another great tune Um, but I think my favourite on this album is Into the Lens now this is a bit of a story Mm. um It's a song written by Horn and Downs and later released on their Buggles album, Adventures in Modern Recording. Uh, It's uh, on that album. It's called I Am a Camera. Um, And I think they came to Yes with the essentials of the song and with the input from How, Squire and White, it became an eight and a half minute Yes song with a more progressive rock sound. Um, Into the Lens and the Buggles version, I Am a Camera, actually have slightly different lyrics. Did you know that, Brian? No, I didn't. Okay. Because it's one of my favourite songs, and I I tend to take close note of, you know, the the couple of different versions that are actually out there. So um, there's just a few little uh, differences in the lyrics. Um, And the single edit of the Yes uh, version, uh, Into the Lens, is actually titled Into the Lens Bracket I Am a Camera. So that's pretty nice, isn't it? Um, Hmm. 
that's a little bit about the Yes album drama. I highly recommend it. I say go and have a listen to that if you like the more commercial sound, the more, um, I don't want to say pop rock. It's not fair to say that, but the more commercial sounding, uh, yes. Um, and to that end, to be honest with you, uh, the very next album, 90215, uh, is also one of my very favourite albums. Um, I want to talk about that for a minute. Do you like this one too, Brian? I do. I absolutely love it. But if I might just say, mm. I can't say enough good things about drama. That album is just, that album is perfect. It, there's, and, and I agree with you. My, my favorite song is the same as yours on that one. Um, and you've got, it, it's got an edge to it that most of the other albums don't have. It's like you said, it's a little heavier. It's just got this really great, like, uh, drive to the whole album and great, like the mix of the the riffs and the music with the catchiness it, mm. like the catchiness, catchiness isn't yeah. over yeah. yeah the catchiness isn't over the top the hooks aren't like aren't aren't bubblegum but they but they pull you in man and they are that is that is a great album sorry but 90125 I really like a lot too but of course you know there was a big change that happened there, so you want to tell us about that. Sorry. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, 90215, uh, it's the 11th Yes Studio album, released in 1983. It's their biggest selling album, uh, containing perhaps their most well-known song by listeners who aren't necessarily Yes fans. So a lot of people would know the song Owner of a Lonely Heart because it got a lot of airplay. It got a lot of airplay here in Australia. Um, did it have a lot of airplay in the United States, Brian? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so we won't talk too much about that, but, um, after the drama album, the drama tour, Yes disbanded, uh, and a new band was formed called Cinema. Now, this band included Chris Squire, Alan White, uh, another former Yes keyboardist, Tony Kay, and South African guitarist Trevor Rabin. <laughs> Uh, so they go into the studio and they started recording an album as a band called Cinema. And they also had the former singer from the drama album, Trevor Horn, as producer. Now, during the mixing stage, uh, former singer John Anderson was invited to take the reins again as lead vocalist. And guess what? Voila! You have <laughs> the band that was called Cinema release an album, 90210, <laughs> And guess what? They're called Yes Again. Um, now, this is a very short version of how this all came about. There's so many interesting twists and turns, but for the sake of brevity, we might move on and just talk about a couple of tracks. Again, like the previous uh, album that we talked about, it's hard for me to pick a weak track on this album. I can understand why it is their biggest success so, so far. Um, so I'm recommending it to anyone and everyone. But let me give some attention to one particular track here beside Owner of a Lonely Heart. Uh, besides that tune, which uh, did hit number one, by the way. But besides that one, there were three other singles released from this album. And I want to talk about one of these, and it's called It Can Happen. Um, do you like this one, Brian? It can happen. I do. Yes. I another. There's not a bad song on that album exactly. either. But yeah, it's great, isn't it? I love albums yeah. like this. Uh, it reminds me of Boston's first album. There's not a bad song mm -hmm. on the whole album. It's just brilliant. Um, but yeah. it can happen. Um, so the band that was originally going to be called Cinema, they had recorded their version of It Can Happen with Chris Squire on vocals, and it's actually very well done. Because as you said, Brian, Chris had a 
great voice and you can hear him in a lot of yes songs when you hear him uh, lead sing you realize okay that's him in the backup vocals that's him you know almost co-singing on a lot of songs you know co-lead vocals there's so so many yes songs you go oh wow that's that's him he's a really good voice um but anyway they had the version of it recorded and when Anderson was invited to rejoin them and record this album with them, he brought some of his own touches to the song. And on the Yes version, he's actually included in the writing credits. The album version is always going to be the better version for prog rock fans because it's a little bit longer. Uh, but the single version reached number five on the charts. And you can go onto YouTube and see the couple of videos that are up there. You can also hear at least three different versions of the song. You've got the cinema version. You've got the Yes album version and you've got the Yes single version. Um, now, the Yes single version misses out on some of the dialogue that can be heard under the guitar solo. And I'm going to read those lines for you. So under the guitar solo, it says, Come, old boy, you had much better have the thing out at once. And that is exactly what dentists always do. Now, go on. Tell me the whole thing. Now, that's from Oscar Wilde's play, The Importance of Being Earnest. Did you know that, Brian? No, I did not. It always st stood out to me from the first time I heard that song. And every time I hear uh, this song, I always hear that under there. And I, I knew it had some significance, uh, historical, uh, historical literature significance. So I had to look it up. But it is from Oscar Wilde's play, The Importance of Being Earnest. Isn't that something? Hmm. Um hmm. A couple of more points of interest before I hand you back to Brian here. Um, yes toured Argentina after the release of 90215. And I think they had a couple of dates in Buenos Aires. And it was the first time that an English band had performed in the country following the Falklands War, which, as you will all know, was fought between the Brits and the Argentinians following Argentina's invasions invasion of the Falkland Islands um, and while I'm here I just want to give a big shout out to all the British forces down there in Stanley g'day and stay warm down there fellas Anderson stated that the group actually had to be escorted into the country in a private air force jet uh, and was surrounded by military during the entire visit um, they even had a conference call with the president of Argentina before their arrival who ensured their safety because there had been um, lots of death threats against them because, you know, they were Brits and they were coming uh, to tour uh, mm. as the first Brit band after the uh, invasion of uh, the Falklands and the Falklands War. Mm. Now, is, isn't that something? Yeah. Now, the album almost got called something else. It was almost called the New Yes album, but they decided to go with its allocated catalogue number, which was actually, wait for it, do you know what it was, Brian? No. <laughs> 90214. But sleeve designer Gary Mewitt said, and I quote, because they couldn't get consistency worldwide with that number, it got changed to 90125. No, no. No, that's it. 90125, right. 90125. Um, and he said, I've still got some rough tour T-shirts and sleeves with the original number on it. Mm. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, there is actually a Yes-related album out there called 90214, and that's Trevor Rabin's album of demo tracks called... 90214, uh, and that was released in 2003. So I reckon that was quite good, cool. 
Groovy, cute, mm-hmm. call it whatever you want that he called it that, you know. I mean, I would have done it too. Now, I warned you that this is be very subjective. I keep saying that, and, you know, I'm getting very excited here as I'm talking about these couple of brilliant albums, but I would might even go as far as saying that, you know, it could be, I'm not sure it might be, but maybe my favourite Yes song, which is Hold On, uh, is on this album. So do yourself a favour. Go and have a listen to that song if you can't listen to the whole album. Go and listen to the song Hold On. Okay, so that's 90215. Brian. Before we wind up our part one here, I was just going to sure. throw in a couple of little, um, little, um, tidbits. Anecdotes. Or, yeah, tidbits. Thank you. Um, so it may be interesting to note. First of all, I'd, I'd like to say that, um, uh, Trevor Rabin, for those who are, are like you and I, who like to dig and find, um, you know, back catalog of what these people were doing solo and, you know, prior to their involvement with Yes or even after. Um, Trevor, I always say Trevor Rabin, but I guess it's Rabin. I've heard several people say Rabin. So um, he had been in a band, a South African band called Rabbit, R-A-B-B-I-T-T maybe. I'm not sure if it's spelled exactly the same as the Aussie band, because there was an Aussie band called Rabbit that was – uh quite different but um i did not know that yes and uh i had found um they had a, at least i think he had at least two or three maybe albums with them but um honestly i wasn't really impressed with it um that's not to talk negative about him or the band just it just wasn't really my cup of tea um because i had already been introduced to Rabin through his work with yes at that point and, and it was quite a different animal so if if somebody's interested and they want to find that um and i gotta say that uh his playing that is since um he was the sole guitar player on 90125 um Rabin was versus um having steve howe in the band but his sound really revolutionized things in the music industry and in guitar playing, um, as soon as I heard him play or the, the work he had done on that album, immediately I'm like, how's he doing that? How in the world is he getting that sound? Um, so he had, he had brought to the forefront the harmonizer for the guitar where you can take and, um, you, you say you play a note and it can play a fifth and an octave of that. Like there's a, uh, an effects, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it in layman's terms here for people who may not be musicians, but the, the sound that he was, he was using, um, technology and, um, you know, the, uh, gear at the time that was, that was becoming popular and he was bringing it to the forefront. So these things called harmonizers for the guitar or octavers. Um, and he was getting these really big guitar sounds, uh, especially with his leads and melody lines and things like that. It was really cool. Um, to me, it was really cool sound and it was very, um, something that I hadn't heard of before because normally, you know, in the past, if you wanted to get, you know, multiple tones while you're playing, you'd, you'd do one track, say you do your one track with the, the one note, then you'd get double that track with your, the fifth of that note or the seventh or the octave or whatever you're playing on the guitar. Well, he was incorporating these basically computerized things that, that, that actually did all that work for you. You could do all those notes at once. So that being said, he, he just brought this whole other element and not only just his playing and his tones and sound, but the, his production 
values, um, the way that the music was recorded and produced just was, yes, was at a, a whole new level with 90125 and following. And they also were leading the rest of the music industry into this new age of, ah, new age, new age of, um, <laughs> I saw of, what you did uh, there. <laughs> Uh, it was leading, you know, the music, they were leading the music industry into this whole new age of how to approach recording and, um, producing music. Um, I don't want to leave out another side note that I have here, even though we haven't touched, talked, talked much about, um, even though we haven't talked much about Anderson, like, uh, personal and, you know, him no, personally focused no, on him. Yeah. yeah. But he had a friendship with, uh, this is just like a little, um, side note about, um, the actor Sherman Hemsley, which people might remember from the Jeffersons, the TV show, the Jeffersons. Well, Hemsley was apparently a, a huge prog rock fan, um, which, uh, I guess, I mean, I guess that's not, nothing strange about that except for when you consider him playing George Jefferson in the Jeffersons, just the, the attitude that that character, not the, not the actor, but the attitude that the character had on the show, you would never have maybe, you know, coined or thought of him as a, as a progressive rock fan, but he actually did record an album with John Anderson and it was never released. Um, and it was called festival of dreams and uh, because Hemsley was a keyboard player, I believe, and he did record some music. Um, he did a couple of singles, I think, and um, they're out there. They were released. But apparently Hemsley was like a really big into psychedelic. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this later. But he was into like New Age philosophies and psychedelic, psychedelic drugs, psychedelic music. And. There's even one um, episode of the Jeffersons where the son in the show, Lionel, is listening to a radio in the apartment that they lived in. And he's actually listening to the band Nectar, which is a um, mm. Mm. which is a progressive rock band from mm. the you know span in the same uh, time period that, yes, has as well. And George Jefferson, the character played by Hemsley, he comes in and uh, while Lionel's listening to it and he starts dancing around and. And it's, it's like he was such a huge fan of Yes and prog rock that he not only recorded, you know, a, an album with John Anderson, but, you know, they incorporated it into one of the episodes of the Jeffersons, which I'm sure was probably his doing. Yeah, you can find the clip on on YouTube of that uh, of that song, him coming and playing that. But um, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of throw those in before. Because I know that uh, in our next segment we're gonna we're gonna focus more on the the philosophies behind the music of Yes and the members of Yes. Yeah. And uh, just wanted to throw that those little tidbits in because they're not gonna fit in later on. So. No, that's cool. All right. Okay. All right. Well, we, we will leave it there, um, and we will come back and uh, we'll do a part two of Yes. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about uh, some uh, music, uh, but we'll definitely get into the. Uh, philosophers, uh, philosophy side of things when we do that and underneath the music and uh, from the members of the band and uh, and lots, lots more. So stay tuned. Come back very soon for part two of Philosopher Rock and Yes. So um, so we'll leave it there for now. Brian, thanks for your time, mate, and uh, we'll have to hit record on part two very soon. Yes, sounds good. Thank you for uh, you know doing this with me. It's uh, it's just it's kind of cathartic for us to both just kind of like uh, 
get all this out of, you know, as far as our, our love for yes. And, um, just, uh, yeah, I appreciate your, um, willingness to do this and I appreciate your input because you, you've enlightened me on a few things today as is par for the course. So that's good. Yeah. Well, you have too. You've given me a couple of tidbits there that I didn't know as well. Very interesting. And I'm going to go and look some of them up. Um, cause I, you know, pride myself on knowing as much as I can about yes. But anyway, all right, so until next time, I'll just say God bless and hooroo. Happy trails. <laughs>